Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velarkis and I'm an expert certified fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a multiple award-winning virtual fertility and pregnancy nutrition clinic serving thousands from around the world and of course, the host of this pod, Fertility Friendly Food. This podcast is dedicated to all things health and nutrition in the world of fertility, reproductive health, and pregnancy. Each week, I bring you practical snack-sized episodes to help improve your lifestyle on your trying-to-conceive journey, alongside guest expert interviews to help inspire you to learn and grow whilst you grow your family. Hey, really quick, just a quick trigger warning. If you've experienced disordered eating or an eating disorder, or you have a strained relationship with food, please note that there is mention of disordered eating and eating disorders in this episode. So if that is not something you need to hear about, perhaps give this one a miss. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode, I'm finally putting one of the biggest dietary trends of the past five to 10 years the low-carb diet to rest as it has well and truly impacted and infiltrated the fertility and trying-to-conceive community. Let's put this one to bed, shall we? So low-carb diets for fertility, helpful or harmful? Just before we get into today's episode, let's answer a question from our community. P.S. If you want to submit a question to the podcast, please fill in the 30-second question form that's linked in the show notes for you, or you can drop us a voice memo on Instagram at the underscore dietologist. We absolutely love receiving them. This week's question is very on theme for today's potty app, which is at the moment, I'm not eating that many whole grains like bread and oats and rice and pasta, is that going to have a negative impact on my fertility? This is a great question because I do see a lot of grain avoidance when it comes to the trying to conceive population. And I think this is really a downstream effect of the low carb and paleo movements from the last five to 10 years. And The short answer is whole grains are associated with improved fertility. And so by removing them from your diet, you are missing out on precious fiber, prebiotic fiber to nurture the gut microflora. You're also missing out on B vitamins, vitamin E, magnesium, a whole range of micronutrients. They are not devoid of nutrients and are quote unquote just carbs. That is not how whole unrefined grains work. Whole grains include things like brown rice, quinoa, wholemeal or whole grain bread, oats, amaranth, buckwheat, popcorn is a whole grain. There are so many whole grains to try. We just tend to stick to the same few all the time, I do find. And Beyond fertility, whole grain consumption is actually linked with a reduced risk of death from all causes. So we should not be avoiding grains, not just for our fertility, but for our general health as well. So do not skimp on the whole grains, especially if you have uterine lining issues, as whole grains are really important to help support the lining thickness. There was a study that was done that compared people with higher whole grain intake and lower whole grain intake in the group that had 
higher whole grain intake had a better uterine lining thickness in preparation for implantation. So I hope that answers your question. If you've got a question, please submit it in the question box that is always linked in the show notes for you. Cannot wait to read your submissions and answer them on the pod. Are you currently trying to conceive or on a fertility journey? If so, you can feel like there are 101 things you could or should be doing when it comes to your preconception or fertility health. It's easy to get overwhelmed really quickly. This is exactly why I created a preconception lifestyle checklist. One page for you and one page for your partner, categorized into supplements, diet, lifestyle, and environment, focusing on the low-hanging fruit that is simple but effective strategies proven to help improve your health and well-being for fertility and for a future healthy pregnancy. Over 5,000 people have downloaded it already. Do you want your free copy? Head to the link in the show notes now to swipe your free checklist. Okay, let's get into today's episode on low-carb diets and fertility. First of all, let's talk about what are carbs and where are they found and what they do in our body, because there is a huge amount of misunderstanding about what carbs are and what they do for us and where they're found, which leads to a lot of the fear surrounding carbohydrates. So a carb is a chain of glucose molecules, which include three main groups, sugars, starches, and also fiber. When broken down by the digestion in the saliva or the small intestine or the large intestine, they then release those glucose molecules. And this is the primary fuel for all cells, including your brain, muscles, and liver. Now, fiber behaves a little bit differently. So we're going to leave that particular form of carbohydrate out of the uh, conversation today. But just note that it is a very important fermentable carbohydrate. So where are carbohydrates found? Well, carbs are found in many foods. First of all, let's start with our core food groups. So we have carbs in our fruits, our starchy vegetables like potato, sweet potato, corn, pumpkin, peas, grains and cereals like oats, rice, quinoa, pasta, bread, wraps and popcorn, and dairy foods like milk and yogurt, legumes and beans, and to a lesser degree foods like nuts and seeds. Core foods that naturally contain very little carbohydrates include things like butter, oils, unmarinated plain meats like beef, pork, lamb, chicken, seafood and fish, and other proteins like tofu and eggs. Other foods that do contain carbohydrates that are more quote-unquote refined include baked products like muffins, cakes, pastries, the sugar that you use in your tea or coffee, ice cream, chocolate, potato chips, pies, white bread, sugary cereals, pizza dough, white pasta, white flour, white rice or white noodles, uh, rice noodles or wheat-based noodles, for example. What do carbs do in your body? How do they help maintain our health? These are an essential macronutrient. Just like you need proteins and fats and water, the body prefers carbohydrate to use as its primary source of fuel for energy. As I said, carbs break down to glucose and this is what fuels all your cycles and keeps your organs ticking over Yes, even if you didn't exercise today, your body is burning the lion's share of energy each day, just sitting or lying down. 
Also, carbohydrates, especially fiber, act as food for the good bacteria that live in the gut and promote their growth. This is linked with enhanced digestive function and health and is linked with overall improved physical and mental well-being, as well as keeping your bowel movements regular too. In fact, carbohydrates are considered so important that it makes up the majority of your daily intake according to the guidelines. Carbohydrates should make up 45 to 65% of your total daily energy intake or calories. So what exactly are we talking about when it comes to a low-carb diet? So fun fact, there's actually no universal definition of a low-carb diet. Yeah, you'd think that's something that has gotten so much traction that the definition would be straightforward. So you could say a low-carb diet is anything less than 45% of your total daily caloric intake. This could be a diet that focuses more on proteins, fats, and veggies, and could still be relatively balanced and not too restrictive with some carbohydrate-rich foods included regularly as well. But if you're thinking more something along the lines of a ketogenic diet, this is a very low-carbohydrate diet. This contains about 20 grams of carbohydrates per day. That's like only eating an apple's worth of carbs per day. This is an extremely low amount of carbohydrates. The premise being, once you deprive your body of its primary source of fuel, eventually the body, well, specifically the liver, will start to produce ketones to keep the organs tied over as an alternative energy source. The people who endorse the keto diet claim say that there are many benefits to ketosis, including weight loss and reduced risk of chronic conditions. Then you also have all the shades of gray in between from 5 to 40% of total dietary energy being made up of carbohydrates. So there are several types of low-carb diets. I'll just go through a few of the most popular ones that you may have heard of and talk about them in turn. So we've got the keto diet, which I just mentioned, extremely low in carbs, high in fats, and moderate amounts of protein. Paleo diet focuses on animal proteins like fish, seafood, eggs, meat, and usually eliminates things like grains, legumes, and dairy. In some versions, nuts and seeds, um, root veggies, and some fruits are allowed, and others are more strict about whether root vegetables and fruits are allowed. The Atkins diet is a phased diet, which was popular over 40 years ago, including a very low-carb diet to enter into a bit of a reset, quote-unquote, to your carbohydrate tolerance in the long run. Then you have the carnivore-style diet, which is an extreme diet of just red meat, poultry, fish, and eggs, and no plant material at all. Goodness, I cannot imagine what people's bowels are like on this type of diet. Now, I'm not endorsing any of these diets. I'm just talking about them really factually, and we are now going to go through some of the potential benefits and risks of low-carb diets, and then I'm going to talk about the fertility research and what my final thoughts are. So the risks of very low-carb diets are a number of nutrient deficiencies, including fiber, B vitamins, iodine, folic acid, and magnesium. The risk of eating disorders and disordered eating patterns are extremely high with these types of dietary restrictions. I cannot tell you over my past five years of practice how many people I have seen be triggered by a ketogenic diet specifically into an eating disorder and having to recover that. And it's not necessarily that it was the keto diet's fault, 
But I do think that carbohydrate restriction is one of the primary forms of um, an eating disorder manifesting at the moment um, because it's the latest diet culture trend. Another risk is amenorrhea. So this is the loss of your menstrual cycle due to inadequate energy intake. And we do see particularly in our clients here at the Dietologist with hypothalamic amenorrhea that restoring adequate carbohydrates is critical to help enhance those signals from the brain to the ovaries to the pituitary to start producing reproductive hormones again to get the periods and ovulation going again. Some of these diets just have too many saturated fats, and we know that too many saturated fats can be negative for our cardiovascular health, but can also have a pro-inflammatory effect. So for people with conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, or for those who are mindful about their egg quality, for example, it may have a negative impact. On that note, too many saturated fats can also raise your cholesterol levels, which in the long run isn't going to be too good for your heart either. Ongoing gut health issues after you reintroduce carbohydrates. So just going back to my previous experience with clients with disordered eating as a result of being on a very low carb diet, when we do go back and reintroduce the carbohydrates, it's almost like the communities of bacteria that were responsible for fermenting fiber and carbohydrates have become much fewer in their population because they've been basically starved. And so the protein and fat digesting bacteria have become very dominant. And so when we go to reintroduce carbs and fibrous foods again, there aren't as many bacteria there available to do the job. And that can result in some gut health concerns like bloating, gas, or changes in bowel function. And that can be quite distressing, particularly as you're recovering from an eating disorder or disordered eating. But usually this does improve with time as the populations need constant nourishment to then regrow. But this is a risk that is not often discussed and we do have sufficient data to say that too high populations of fat and protein digesting bacteria in the large intestine in the gut microbiome is associated with poorer health outcomes. Whole grains and the evidence for uterine lining thickness. So I talked about this in our question this week. So yes, maternal whole grain intake has been linked with enhanced uterine lining thickness. So if implantation is a concern or is something you're actively trying to work on, then ditching whole grains is not going to be favorable. Dietary fiber and gastrointestinal issues like constipation. Sadly, a lot of these types of low-carb diets do squeeze out your daily fruit, veggies, the natural fiber found in whole grains, uh, nuts and seeds and legumes and beans, which do, of course, promote healthy bowel function and help you go to the toilet each day. So there can be a risk of constipation for those who follow these types of diets. Very low carb and very low energy diets are simply just not recommended in the six weeks prior to conception or during pregnancy. The risk is if you're using this to lose or maintain your weight, 
you're going to have to expect rebound weight gain in pregnancy, which may have its own onflow of impacts to you and your baby's health if you're gaining excessive amounts of weight in pregnancy itself. So I think it's really important to think about if this is the only way you're utilizing this type of diet to lose weight, what's the game plan after you come off this type of diet? And what is your game plan for a potential future pregnancy? The other risk that I see is that as soon as you stop, you just go back to the way you were before in terms of your eating habits and or your body changes that you've experienced. And so really, it's just like any other dietary pattern. If you can't do it for a long period of time, then chances are it's not the right option for you and you're only going to get short term benefit and you'll be back on the dieting roller coaster in no time. The other component of low-carb diets is, generally speaking, they are quite inflexible and can be quite socially isolating. It is hard to go out and eat at a restaurant, at a cafe, and have these types of dietary restrictions, and it can socially isolate you. And food and eating is meant to be a social activity, like I talked about in the Mediterranean diet episode a couple episodes back. Social eating is actually a really important part of our mental well-being. And so if we're feeling always excluded, making separate meals, having a special diet, that is going to have over time a negative impact on our mental well-being. And finally, probably this is the most cited reason that I say to avoid this type of diet is it's simply difficult to maintain for all of the above reasons. And studies do show that even if ketogenic or very low carb diets are having benefits to some reproductive health conditions, for example, like PCOS, people are simply just unable to maintain the diet to even finish the research study, let alone continue with it beyond. And so I just think the number of people who can sustainably manage these kinds of dietary patterns are so slim and can do it in a way that is healthful to their body and their mind is slimmer again. And so I just feel that overall, the risks and the losses are so great with this style of eating that the benefits are quite slim. So Oops, I totally did that backwards and talked all about the risks and none of the benefits. So let's rewind really quick and talk about some of the documented benefits of lower carbohydrate diets. So as a result of this type of dietary restriction, in many cases, you do end up reducing how many chips, chocolates, ice creams and pastries you are eating. And instead, you are eating more whole foods. So you could say that this generally does improve overall dietary quality. As a result, if weight loss is is your goal, you may, in fact, lose some weight. Some low-carb diets, like the ketogenic diet, have some well-researched merits such as childhood epilepsy management, and some emerging research about type 2 diabetes is also emerging. Ketosis can help reduce appetite, and thus you do feel full, and therefore there's kind of no need to think too much about that energy-in-energy-out equation. Some low-carb diets can also enhance your management of insulin resistance, which is a major risk factor for the development of type 2 diabetes and may also help reinstate more regular ovulation periods and may actually help you conceive. And we certainly have seen some of this in the PCOS research. Now, a big word of warning, I have seen a number of people with PCOS try these types of diets, but because of the significantly increased risk of developing an eating disorder or disordered eating, 
particularly in the PCOS group, it is something that I do not advise. I don't think I've ever advised it ever in my entire career. However, I have seen the consequences of it. And, you know, just rewinding back to the risks, you know, nothing is worth your mental health at the end of the day. So if you're interested in learning how to best manage your PCOS using diet and lifestyle, we do have an awesome program called the PCOS project, which is available for you to work through at your own pace, has evidence-based videos, worksheets, e-guides, recipes, meal plans, so you can find a balanced approach to managing insulin resistance, PCOS, and get your period and cycle more regular. Now, what is the state of research of low-carb diets and fertility research? So one systematic literature review conducted by Aussie fertility dietitian Melanie McRice, who you may have heard of and a previous mentor of mine, looked at the effect of low-carbohydrate diets on fertility hormones and outcomes in those with additional weight. And similarly, there were some favorable outcomes in some of these studies, especially in those with PCOS, largely due to the improved in insulin resistance by reducing carbohydrates. However, the duration of this diet and the exact level of restriction is hard to agree upon from this research, but there is insufficient data for those without PCOS who are navigating fertility concerns in utilizing a low-carb style of diet. So what should you make of all this? Low-carb diets are having their overcooked time in the spotlight, in my opinion. Carbs are essential, and certainly it is not advisable to use a very low-carb diet for fertility or during pregnancy. A small reduction in carbohydrates that still prioritizes whole grains, fruits, starchy veggies, and legumes in alignment with the core fertility principles may be worth exploring for those with insulin resistance and or PCOS, according to the science, but not something you want to navigate solo. Working with a fertility dietitian here is key to ensure you aren't missing any important micronutrients, you aren't overdoing the restriction and falling into disordered eating habits, discuss nutritious food options and keep you from falling into unhealthy and overly restrictive and harmful eating patterns. Undeniably, some people should steer clear of this type of dietary approach, especially for those with history of disordered eating or an eating disorder or a history of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which FYI, up to 50% of people with PCOS do experience disordered eating or a clinical eating disorder. Now, if you are listening and you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, please go back and listen to the HA episode with Sarah Liz King, EP and recovery coach. She has so many incredible tips for you. The bottom line is low-carb diets, a bit of a fad that has infiltrated the fertility community. There is limited research to show its potential benefit in those with PCOS and insulin resistance, but certainly no other groups have shown to have benefit. There are a number of risks and a small number of benefits. And in my opinion, the risks are far too high for the benefits with a suitable number of alternative options that can work for you. If you are currently trying to conceive or on a fertility journey, then it can feel like you have 101 things you could or should be doing when it comes to your preconception or fertility health. It's easy to get overwhelmed really quickly, which is exactly why I created a preconception lifestyle checklist. One page for you and one page for your partner categorized into supplements, diet, 
lifestyle and environment, focusing on those low-hanging fruits, those simple but effective strategies proven to help enhance your health and well-being for fertility, for a healthy pregnancy, and a healthy baby too. Over 5,000 future parents have downloaded it already. Do you want your free copy too? Head to the link in the show notes now to swipe your free preconception lifestyle checklist. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to follow on whatever podcast streaming platform you're currently listening on. Literally, I'm, I'm waiting. Three seconds, hit the little back button and hit follow. Okay, have you done it? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And then whilst you're there, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It makes such a difference to our podcast reaching more ears. And don't forget to share it with someone who would find it useful too. Until next episode, everyone. Bye. Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connections to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to First Nation cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people tuning in today. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation.